Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And maybe you're thankful that our introduction here starts exactly as it usually does after <laughs> a week break of sort of a different introduction. Uh, I, I really enjoyed our time with uh, Paul Vanderclay last week. And so thank you, Paul, if you're listening, for, for joining us and for that, I think, fruitful conversation. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to be sort of doing a throwback episode. If we go way back in time and reformed Podmatics' history to episodes 49 and 55, you will see that we did episodes on C.S. Lewis and Herman Bovink, uh, sort of the namesake of the podcast. And we thought it would be fun to do another one of these sort of biographical uh, episodes. And today we've chosen, and we'll explain why here in a second, we've chosen a man named John Bunyan. You've probably heard of John Bunyan, and the reason that you've likely heard of him is because of his famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, which we will be mentioning as we go through this show. Uh, but this this episode, I think one of the reasons that it stood out to us to, to do Bunyan in particular was because, as you may have heard, Pastor Mark coming up this summer will be going on his sabbatical, uh, which will be sort of all over the place in yep. some ways. Yep. It'll be partly in England, main, mainly England, I think, mm-hmm. but also Canada to see family and Germany to see family as well. Mm-hmm. And so one of the themes of that sabbatical uh, will be the theme of pilgrimage. And so coming up here in the next uh, couple of weeks, Ammon Valley will begin reading together The Pilgrim's Progress uh, with families and even with children reading The Little Pilgrim's Progress. And so we thought it would be fun, uh, in reference to all of this, to talk about John Bunyan. Uh, more than just the man who wrote the book, uh, we want to look at his life and his theology, his thinking, and his time, mm-hmm. and what legacy he left that we can learn from. Now, I'll, I will start off by saying that, personally, I've actually not read The Pilgrim's Progress, I know. I, I, everybody can hear everybody sighing. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, my wife has read it, and I have not read it, which is, uh, yeah, it's Good just job, funny. Yeah. <laughs> As the one who wasn't even reformed, she read it, and so yeah. she guess, I guess she has some better credentials there than I do. Uh, but it's it's something that I think is really interesting, of course, not just the book, but his life. I, I had the privilege back in 2016 to go to England and I had heard from my professor, Dr. Michael Allen, to go to the Bunhill Fields and just look around. I didn't really know what the Bunhill, Bunhill Fields were. I knew that they were a burial ground for nonconformists, uh, otherwise known as the Puritans. And so I thought that sounded interesting enough. And I thought, well, it's called Bunhill Fields. It must be out in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. And so I got on the tube and followed my Google Maps and I landed right in the middle of the city still, what felt like <laughs> the middle of the city. Uh, it's actually, I believe, in East London, if I remember correctly. It used to be out in the uh, middle of nowhere. It was <laughs> back back in the day out on the, the outskirts of the city, but now it is 
not oh. it's it's surrounded by enormous buildings. Yeah. And if you go to the Bunhill Fields, you will see a few different important graves. I believe John Owen, for example, mm-hmm. is there. But the one that's Isaac most Watts. prominent, yeah. oh yeah, Isaac Watts is there. The most prominent by far, however, is John Bunyan's, which actually sits in the middle of the walkway. There's a walkway that goes right down the middle of the burial ground. And there's a big monument with the tomb of John Bunyan. And it talks about how he is the author of the Pilgrim's Progress. But again, there's more to his life than that. Mm -hmm. And so we should look at a little bit of his bio, maybe giving the snapshots so that we can understand who he was as a man of his time and where he came from in life and in the history of of England and Christianity in England. So, Mark, why don't you lead us off by giving the the biography of John Bunyan? Sure. Uh, this is an ex- episode I'm very excited about. <laughs> when Zach proposed the topic, I jumped all over it and said, let's do it. Um, and hopefully this episode is not just helpful for our church as we start to think about Pilgrim's Progress and being hmm. a pilgrim, a Christian pilgrim, on our way to uh, heaven to, um, to meet Christ face-to-face. Um, but this is hopefully going to be helpful for any listener, no matter yeah. what church you go to. Um, Actually, we, wh- maybe yeah, I'll ask ahead. you this, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Why pilgrimage? Or yeah. Why point. that theme? What was compelling about it for you? I think, well, it's sort of a conglomeration of factors for me. So uh, it's hard to, to remember exactly what came first if I if I read Pilgrim's Progress and Hmm. then really thought more deeply about travel and what that should look like, meaningful travel. Um, I'm also, I guess what came first probably is a love for Rick Steve Zirup watching that show. (laughs) Yes, Um, great show. And so if if people watch that show or you could find any episode on YouTube if you'd like, um, it's what I watch when I have a migraine. It's very soothing and calming for me. (laughs) And so I'll just close my eyes and listen to music and and here, kind of the travelogue of Rick Steves. Um, one of the purposes of that show is to get people into meaningful travel. Hmm. And, of course, he does that in Europe. You could do that in the state that you live in, the province that you live in. Um, you could do that in Central America or Asia. Um, yeah. But uh, that was that was really cool to me to think of travel in that way, where it's not just going on a trip, on a vacation to get away, but it's yeah. going somewhere to see something that's significant. Yeah. And so uh, from watching that show, I really developed a desire to go and, and see things that matter, um, mm-hmm. but also not just to go there and see the Rosetta Stone because people told me that it matters, but because yeah. um, I, I'd like to, for example, go see Martin Lloyd-Jones's church, and I w- actually mm-hmm. went and did that because I was listening to his preaching, and it was right. like a pilgrimage for me. Yep. And um, that, you could just say it. That's what it was. Or we went to Canterbury, <laughs> the location of so many pilgrimages throughout the, the history of the church. And uh, there's something very connective to me, um, not yeah. just to the church or to Christ, but connective to history and the world and the experiences mm. of different people. And so there's sort of this all these factors that come together. And of course, um, we also went to Bunhill Fields, and I had mm. been reading The Pilgrim's Progress, had read through it already for our kids, mm. and went to to see his grave there, and was very moved just reading The Pilgrim's Progress sitting on a bench in that cemetery. Yeah. 
um, we want to make it even more meaningful now, and, and we're going to sing some Isaac Watts hymns in that cemetery as a family. Um, Jesus shall reign where the sun, joy to the world, are two of his most popular hymns that he, he wrote. Hmm. Um, also, Daniel Defoe, um, author of Robinson Crusoe, was buried in that same cemetery. Oh, I did not know that. Um, and, uh, and so just to sort of prepare for a trip seemed like a neat thing. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's the biblical... Oh um, yeah, there's a lot reason for pilgrimage. Psalm 84 verse 5 says, "Blessed is the one whose heart whose strength is in the Lord, whose heart is set on pilgrimage." And mm-hmm. you have the Psalms of Ascent, which are pilgrimage songs yeah. that people would sing on their way to Zion. And and so there's this theme in the Bible of being on your way somewhere. For mm-hmm. Abraham, for um for Christ, of course, his pilgrimage led him out into the wilderness and then through all these towns. Uh, right. Ultimately, of course, to the cross, and um, and so being on your way somewhere seemed really interesting to me. That dovetailed nicely with the pilgrims' progress and the the theme of overall pilgrimage. So that that's what the little explanation of the sabbatical <laughs> is. And um, as a church, um, I'm by I just purchased 46 copies of the Pilgrims' Progress that people in church are going to be reading. Hmm. Um, the Little Pilgrims' Progress for children and their families, and then the Pilgrim's Progress in today's English, which is a really nice modernization of it by a believer, which I think is important, um, in uh, in today's English that the adults are going to be encouraged to read. And then I'm going to preach a sermon series on pilgrimage, too, of, of what that means to be in the world, hmm. um, but not of the world. I think that's the main question of pilgrimage. Yeah, there's so, a lot to think about with that theme yeah. of pilgrimage. I'm sure it, we'll it, do a whole episode maybe on, uh, as I lead up to the uh, the sabbatical, on, hmm. which starts May 21, with a pilgrimage of my own from Newcastle, England, a, a cycling trip through four cathedral towns all the way to York, England. So, Yeah, I think one of the interesting features that pilgrimage gets right, the idea of pilgrimage, I think it gets right about the scriptures, is that the scriptures are written linearly. That you're, mm. everything's moving from mm-hmm. somewhere to somewhere else. Yeah. And that is the grand th- theme of the scriptures. It's the movement from bondage to slavery to the promised land. That yeah. is the, I, I think, the story that gets repeated. And the Exodus story sort of sets that for us. And that, that has reverberations throughout the rest of scripture all the way through to the very end. We are still moving towards that promised land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that the promised land of Israel was, of course, typological of the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem uh, that is to come. Yeah. And so we're all on that pilgrimage even to this day. And I think understanding the Christian life as a pilgrimage is really helpful. There's a lot of fruitful connections and things that we can grasp from thinking of it like that. It's not a static thing. It's yeah. not something where we sort of arrive at a point mm-hmm. and we, we're totally good Christians and we're fully you know, mature. We are still onward, moving onward and upward, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of pilgrimage is really great. And I like what you said about travel too. I think that ties in well with what we read from the Herman Bovink uh biography, which if anybody's listening to this show, you you should read that one as well. Uh, there's a lot of good thoughts from Bovink even about mm. what it means to travel. And just, I think yeah. we, when you think about that, you, we can understand what God has done in different parts of the world. And we when we go and we see those incredible churches or those places where people are buried, mm-hmm. we realize that this world is charged with God's glory and we are a part of that story even today. 
And so there's something I would say that's even it's deeper than inspiration. It is it sort of wraps you up in in this whole story, this movement of God and what he is doing to renew all of his creation. And so that's why I love to travel. There's so many stories to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go well, the, the whole gospel of John, I mean, can be divided into half where the first half, yeah. where Jesus is from. Yeah. I'm from the Father. I've come from the Father. The Father That's has true. sent me, you know, the, the, the living, the bread from heaven. Yeah. And then the second half, I'm going back to the Father. Yeah. Going, going, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And, and then Father, hmm. you know, um, he's praying to the Father in John 17. Yeah. And then, of course, right there also telling the disciples, I'm going to depart from you. You'll mm-hmm. remain in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a huge question of pilgrimage is where are we from and where are we going? Yeah. And uh, both historically, um, but also personally. Hmm. That's, those are a lot of questions that I want to ask. And honestly, that is the question of the pilgrim's progress is pilgrim, or like Christian, uh, the, the pilgrim being from the city of destruction on his way to the celestial city, hmm. and all that happens in between. It's a, it's a fable. It's um, very skillfully told, very creative. Um, sometimes it can feel pretty on the nose, but at, at other times there's a lot of truth that there's so much deeper, hmm. a, a huge undercurrent to the truth that's being told. I'll maybe give some examples of that towards the end of the podcast. But and we can think a little bit about John Bunyan first. He lived in the 1600s. So this is maybe Very for important. those who don't, uh, who don't read a lot of history, that's the 17th century is the 1600s. Um, so he lived from 1628 to 1688 which if you know something about British history was an extremely tumultuous time in yeah. England. And um, I would say most centuries have some tumult in England. Um, <laughs> there was, of course, the uh, the 14th century with the Hundred Years' War and the Black Plague. And the 17th century definitely was a difficult one for all of Europe with the, the yeah. Thirty Years' War happening on the continent and the English Civil War happening um, on on the British Isles. And so... Um, this was a, a time where it was really difficult to be a gospel preaching, gospel uh, uh, sharing Christian. And um, the reason for that is there was a lot of corruption in the monarchy and in the church at the time. And so uh, John Bunyan um, found himself really swept up in, in that. Um, he started his life really not as a believer, not as one who was devoted to Christ and, and following him, um, attending church regularly, was not something that he was interested in. He was the son of a tinkerer, um, and he became a tinkerer, which sounds like uh, we, we would call somebody who's just always in the garage a tinkerer today, but it, it's a technical title that means it's somebody who fixed things that were made out of tin or metal in um, in that that era. So he was a Mr. Fix-It. He would go around a little bit like a portable blacksmith, you could almost think of yeah. him as. Um, and uh, that's what he did. Un- he got married and through his wife and her encouragement became more devoted to following the Lord and became a Christian shortly after becoming a believer, thought that he wanted to become a pastor, which is, hmm. is what he did. So um, the reason that I I'd say that is it's, it's interesting maybe for people to to know that there were those um, lukewarm cultural Christians in England in the 17th century. Sometimes <laughs> we look back on history and we think, 
everyone in America in 1776 was going to church all the time, mm-hmm. right? Or everyone in England in this Christendom Christian, so so to speak, <laughs> it was nation, all perfect. <laughs> was just they were in church, they understood the Bible, they're reading the Bible all the time at home. Like, yeah. that's just not reality for history, even right. in nations where there's so much Christian influence. Like Jonathan Edwards in the 1730s, I mean, very few people were going to church before that revival happened in hmm. 1734. And um, and then even after the revival occurred, there was a lot of backsliding that happened there. And so hmm. there are ebbs and flows in a town, in a state, in a nation, in terms of the devotion to Christ. And John Bunyan began as lukewarm, cultural Christian. Yeah, he was um, baptized, but... Yep. It yep. didn't really have an effect, wasn't really going to church, although technically the law in England at the time, when he would have been born in the 1620s, was that you have to go to church. It was illegal mm. to not go to church, wow. but Truth. nobody really enforced it because <laughs> everybody was not going to church. Yeah, It was actually quite common. I would imagine especially in in, in smaller towns away from the major mm. cities where there was a lot of power, uh, I would just imagine there would be less enforcement of things, but I don't, I don't know mm. English history enough to... To know that for sure. But Probably a lot of power games being played even there. Yeah. With magistrates and so forth. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think another thing that's worth mentioning too with Bunyan is that from what we can tell, uh, and I'm no Bunyan scholar, but it sounds like he, he uh, was, because of maybe his lack of upbringing in the church, uh, he wasn't exactly a moral, a virtuous young man. He talks about, even in his autobiography, as he looks back on his life, about how he was sort of the ringleader of <laughs> of young men who were full of vice. Um, and so we get this sort of sense that he's, he's not only not walking with the Lord, but mm-hmm. he is uh, walking and leading a life that is not anything remotely Christian, mm-hmm. uh, which I think, from what I know of the Pilgrim's Progress— mm-hmm. Uh, man, what kind of pastor am I? I've never read the Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> I know everybody. I know, but what what I do know about the book, I I have I know the sort of general gist of the book. I've heard mm-hmm. about it a lot. Uh, I think that that really plays a big oh yeah role yeah. in the book, right? His, Particularly in Vanity Fair, yeah. thinking about his own struggles with sin mm-hmm. and his own uh, lack of virtue and his his tendency towards vice. It sounds like the the book is really that sort of that that conversion story of sorts of yeah. of living your life in certain ways, but then realizing that those ways are empty. Those are broken cisterns and there's nothing to them mm-hmm. and there's a better way, but that's going to require following the Lord and all the difficulties that, that come with that. Uh, yeah. He refers to that as his burden. And so the burden of the, of Christian, of the pilgrim just grows and yeah. grows and grows. And, and that's the big problem until he comes to the cross is how can I rid myself of this burden and then, you know, it, it's very eloquently told, I think it's excellent, where some people will all say, your burden doesn't even look very big. Hmm. Or people try to convince him that it's actually not so bad. Yeah. But to him, it feels terrible. Yeah. And so that's that's a profound insight, actually. It sounds <laughs> um, a lot like Martin Luther's conversion story. That what, I've, what I've read and heard of Bunyan's story, it sounds like Martin Luther, who feels that mm. enormous weight. Mm-hmm. And actually, as I was researching for this, I discovered that it was... Luther's letter or Luther's commentary on the letter to the Galatians, Mm. which is one of the most profound uh, ever books written by Luther. Um, And so he, he read that and was influenced by that story. I think Mm. he probably saw himself a lot in, in Luther's stress about the, the, the law and Mm. God's judgment Mm -hmm. and knowing his, 
his mountain of sin and having that weigh down up upon him. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like Bunyan sort of n- natively understood the first use of the law, the yeah. pedagogical use of the law and how the law can crush. Uh, and it can do that indeed. Oh yeah. And so that seems to be a big part of the story in the Pilgrim's Progress, but we shouldn't quite skip ahead. There's yep. a few more things to mention. So yeah. he becomes a Puritan preacher uh, and he's in the city of Bedford, which today, by today's standards, would prob- probably be about a two-hour journey north of the city of London. And so it's there that he meets actually some some women who are t- talking about spiritual things together. He hears what's what they're talking about and is so impressed by their knowledge of Scripture that he begins to join their church. So he leaves uh, the, the Anglican local parish that he'd been going to with his wife after he became a Christian and starts to meet with them. So these are a group of nonconformist Puritans, and this is known as the Bedford Meeting. Hmm. And things are actually going well for the Puritans uh, early in Bunyan's life, and this eventually leads to the disruption between the monarchy and the parliament. And if you know anything about this period, in the middle of the 17th century, it's known as the English Civil War, Mm -hmm. where you have the royalists who are uh, supporting King Charles I, and you have the parliamentarian, parliamentarians who are mostly led by those who are seeking uh, further reform in the church mm-hmm. and society and want it to become more of a republic, so they want to have no no king. Mm-hmm. And eventually this leads to a, a lot of warfare and battles, and uh, in the end, the royalists lose, and so the Puritans are doing better. Uh, King Charles <laughs> is beheaded, which is a whole long story oh, that we yeah. won't retell here. And I recommend the movie Cromwell. I think it's it's streaming oh, yeah. on Amazon Prime for free. It was, I know, at a time, but the movie Cromwell follows this whole, hmm. and it's very thrilling. It's an epic film with Richard Harris playing Oliver Cromwell. When did is, that come out? I would guess the early 70s. Yeah, it's fairly old. Yeah, um, it, it's a thrilling movie, and there's actually a lot of the religious hmm. um, stuff sort of sewn in because it's all a part on, of the story. On, yeah. on one hand, it's political because people want a more Republican government mm-hmm. where there's representation and and not just the the super monarchy that yeah. um, that is unquestioning, you know, the divine right of kings type of thing. That's mm-hmm. the political side, but then there's the religious side wrapped mm-hmm. up. So you have um, the Puritan. Uh, there's a great scene in Cromwell yeah. where uh, some some fancy um, the the king has ordered that there would be a fancy Roman Catholic looking um, uh, furniture and and hmm. and and sort of chalices at the front on the altar, and yeah. basically Oliver Cromwell freaks out when he sees that <laughs> and uh, stops the worship service and yeah. looks like Jesus overturning the tables in the in the temple, and um, and so there's 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 a, a political side, there's the spiritual side. Um, Hmm. And uh, as as it sounds like you were going to get to, obviously John Bunyan finds himself on the parliamentarian side, yep. the uh, the Puritan side of things. He and was so, actually in the parliamentarian army, which sure. is an interesting history to note. Yeah, and and so things like you said were going well, but then um, King Charles the um, Second. Yeah. Now we are on King Charles the Third, by the way, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Charles years later, the second um, ascends to the throne, and then there's a real reaction to yeah, what so had happened. For about, I'm not sure actually the exact timeline. It's it's sort of vague in my mind, uh, but for about twelve or so years, that's my guess. Uh, there is the Republic, and mm-hmm. so 
there's no king. Oliver yeah. Com- Cromwell is known as the Lord Protector. Yeah. It's also known as the period of the Protectorate. And so it's a republic uh, sort of government run by the parliament. There's no king. The king has been killed. So this is known as regicide, which is a cool word uh, to remember. Um, but yeah, in 1660, so after a little over a decade, uh, the <laughs> the monarchy returns. It's known as the restoration period. Mm-hmm. And so the mar- monarchy is re- restored with King Charles I's son, who is now known as King Charles II. And he begins to reestablish the Church of England, the uh, Episcopal government style, the church polity. And this means that he begins to repress nonconformists. And so that's here, yeah, that's the purity. Here, John Bunyan's his, his story is caught up with all of this because he was sort of in the ascendancy with the, with the Puritan movement, but now he's, his movement is being repressed. And so a lot of these Puritan preachers are sort of, uh, captured and rena- uh, told to that th- told that they must promise no longer to preach, and many of them do make that promise. Um, some of them even go back into the Church of England, but a handful of them, many of them, uh, refuse. And so Bunyan says, "I will continue preaching." And so they keep him in prison. It was men- originally meant to be only a few months, mm-hmm. but it turns into twelve years, where mm-hmm. he he could get out basically at any time if he promises to not preach. But he can't make that promise, and so he remains in prison for twelve years. And it's during this time that he really begins to write a lot. And it's here that he writes the Pilgrim's Progress, although it wasn't published until after he gets out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. It's a very creative time. <laughs> he has a lot of time on his hands, although, of course, prisons back then mm. were not like prisons no. are today. Difficult life, and yeah. So it would have definitely been a struggle, and it would have been a, a very hard time for him and his family. He had a, his second wife. His first wife had died, and so we, she was the stepmom of his four children. And one was blind. He had a one blind One was blind, yeah. and they were able to come and visit, I believe, and actually everything I was reading was saying that sometimes he could get out and go home at night, uh, mm. but he had to promise to come back, which I think is is pretty fascinating. Mm. Uh, but he definitely was in some sense one who was persecuted for his faith yeah. uh, because of the restoration period and what was going on between the Anglicans and the nonconformists. And so that definitely colors a lot of the story, I think, too. He was a man who knew hardship. He was a man who knew what it meant to stand on principle uh, and to make a commitment to Christ and to not be, for lack of a better way of putting it, willy-nilly on things, but somebody who was committed to what he knew to be true. Yeah. Uh, just even as you're describing that, I'm thinking of various scenes of Cromwell of that film, and mm. I, I I really commend it. It's it's a, it's a great image, a uh, picture of uh, a courageous man and uh, all of the courage that it took to stand up to um, persecution, to intimidation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I do commend that movie to uh, to people to watch. Maybe watch it first. I can't rem- I don't know if showing it to kids is so great because there are different <laughs> battle scenes in it, but it's possible maybe a, a 12 or 13-year-old could enjoy that film as well. Some really epic battle scenes mm. with like, you know, hundreds of horsemen and things like that. Um, but anyways, the reason I think of that is... Um, the courage that it would have taken to just say, this is the way that we have to live. It's the way that I have to preach. It's the way that I have to be a pastor. That's how Hmm. John Bunyan lived. 
And um, that's also a theme in the Pilgrim's Progress is um, mm. what are you going to do when persecution yeah. comes to you? Um, that's one of my very favorite scenes is in Vanity Fair. So that is uh, the, the road between the city of destruction and the celestial city leads straight through Vanity Fair. You have to travel through Vanity Fair to get to the, um, the city uh, that you know is Zion, essentially. Yeah. And, and so Christian and faithful are on their way through the city, and um, there's all these temptations there. And there's all this pressure there to stop walking, um, to stop on their way to the city and to, um, to sort of set up shop, um, quite literally in some ways, to try to sell some, some worldly things and make some money in Vanity Fair. Yeah. And, um, and so one of my favorite lines in the whole Pilgrim's Progress is where the, all these people are making fun of them because they're wearing shabby clothes and all the people in Vanity Fair have nicer clothes hmm. um, because they're not interested in these things that... Um, and their their lack of interest in those other things actually convicts the people that those things are vain. They're, and they're, hmm. they're just trinkets that are gonna, um, you know, be worthless someday. Yeah. And so uh, maybe I'll just read uh, just yeah, a, a few moments from from the Pilgrim's Progress, where he, they're in Vanity Fair, faithful and Christian. And here's how Bunyan describes it. He says, "At this fair are all such merchandise sold as houses, lands, trades, places." honors, reputations, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts, as harlots, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. And so um, people are making fun of them because they're not interested in those things, and they just want to get through the city because they're more interested in seeing the king, Christ, hmm. um, in the celestial city. And so, continuing, it says, once one chanced mockingly, so meaning somebody came up to mock them, beholding what the men were carrying, saying to them, what will you buy? Because they don't have any special, um, impressive possessions. Um, but Christian and Hopeful look gravely upon him and say, we buy the truth. So at that there was an occasion taken to despise the men the more, some mocking, some taunting, some speaking reproachfully, and some calling upon others to smite them. So that that line is just gold. Um, we buy the truth. That's actually from Proverbs 23, mm-hmm. verse uh, 23 from the King James Version. Um, and so there you have Bunyan perhaps even seeing himself a little bit and his situation mm-hmm. being called to worldly comfort just join the rest of just, them to, yeah go with to, the flow fold um, on his commitments right and uh, and yet he's he, i would guess he's himself in that situation saying i i must say what's true i must yeah hold to what's true again shades of martin luther you know mm-hmm. coming out in there yeah that's that's really interesting uh, the story again is not something that i'm extremely familiar with but i think that 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 lesson right there is is a really great lesson for us all to learn that the world will mock us. We will not look like the world. Yeah. We are pilgrims who are making our way to another world. Yeah. And it's either the case that they're right or that we are right. And if we really believe that we are buying the truth and we are following the way of Christ, then we shouldn't let the the temptations of the world uh, cause us to to fold on what we know yeah. and what we're looking for. 
Uh, yeah, that, there's so much in the Pilgrim's Progress that the part of the reason that I love it is hmm. um, there's there's the on the surface teaching, but for me, there's always been a lot of introspection personally for me that happens as a result of reading it. So there's the little story of them encountering atheists on their way, and you know it's only a few paragraphs their conversation with atheist. But there's all these little details in it that make you apply it to all kinds of other situations. It's very, very much like The Great Divorce. If people are a big fan of The Great mm-hmm. Divorce, they certainly would see yeah. the influence of The Pilgrim's Progress on The Great Divorce, um, yeah. where there are sort of these typological people. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, there's always some issue that's just so plain to see for the reader, but, um, yeah. but is, is, is actually very uh, thought-provoking in how it's presented. Um, so for example, with atheist, um, I was just reading a few weeks ago, um, atheist is walking back from the celestial city. He got almost to Hmm. the border of it and he gave up and he's, he's walking back towards the city of destruction. And so that in and of itself is convincing to Christian Hmm. and hopeful because they're traveling together and they, they meet this guy who's coming from the direction that they're going and he didn't see and, and he basically says it was no good hmm. and so that's that's convincing to them they're, they're thinking he's already been to a place that we haven't been and it wasn't satisfying to him and so maybe it won't be satisfying to us hmm. that's essentially what the atheist often says is i've i've had experiences in the world um this is especially true for maybe people who are older and, hmm. and atheistic or have given up on um, biblical teaching in various forms and there's hmm. a convincing nature to that because they've been places I haven't been. Yeah. And so yeah. it, it describes atheists having his back to the celestial city and that coming with some power to it. Hmm. But eventually they, they, they hold to their book, they hold to their, their, um, their desire to move forward and they don't trust atheists. They believe hmm. that the celestial city will be a good place and there was something hmm. lacking from atheists and not from the celestial city itself. But the, again, it's just a few paragraphs that describe that, yeah, and there's so like much he, learning. He had such an understanding of different viewpoints and different thinkers and different yeah. different uh, life of, experiences, really. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like he has gone through it enough, so much enough to think about it in a creative way and to put it into a book. Mm-hmm. And so I am looking forward to reading it uh, as a part of our church's uh, journey through it. Yeah, uh, because again, I've only. Yeah, I've watched like little videos on it and stuff like that. Uh, and there is a great cartoon that uh, was released. I believe that's huh. streaming for free on various formats. Um, it, it's a little bit cheaply made, but I've heard from from someone that uh, it, they they cried at various points of it just because of the powerful imagery of the cartoon, mm-hmm. the, the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and so, um, not a bad thing for somebody to watch with your family and definitely to talk about. Uh, together and mm-hmm. thinking, what is this? What does it mean to be a Christian? I think yeah. the Pilgrim's Progress is really confronting something that's very common in our day, which is this idea that Christianity is about the moment of salvation. So, hmm. when were you saved? Is a question that a lot of evangelical yeah. Christians want to ask. What was the moment that you were strangely warmed, to use John Wesley's language? Yeah. Um, what was the moment you Jesus found you? And there's so much attention on that moment or on maybe a few moments in life where you're on the mountaintop hmm. that there is less attention to just walking the, the path mm-hmm. towards Christ, um, listening to God's word, what is in 
the book, the words of the evangelist, um, mm-hmm. trusting God, walking forward, yeah. um, because that that temptation so often in the Pilgrim's Progress is to stop, to stop at Vanity Fair, to stop on the side of the road and take a nap, to mm-hmm. be caught up in the castle of despair, where mm-hmm. of course you're, you've stopped because they're incapacitated by despair and fear. And yeah. so there's all of these temptations to make us stop walking, um, and they, they, they take different forms, but the purpose of the book is to encourage the pilgrim to keep going always yeah. towards Christ. To keep pushing on. And yeah. so it, I think that fits really well with Reformed theology. I mean, Bunyan would be definitely a Reformed theologian of a sort, of, mm-hmm. a, of a pastoral sort. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not always just that singular moment. Uh, there's a great quote that I have always loved and appreciated from pastor john piper because it very much is my own story as well he says i don't know that i'm a christian because i remember being born again just in the same way that i don't know that i'm alive because i remember being born i know that i'm alive because i'm breathing Hmm. and yeah it takes the focus off of when was the moment when was that thing that i can go back to in my mind so i can remember and be assured that i am saved uh i think the reformed faith allows us to not have to think of a moment. Hmm. Uh, in fact, in, in, in our assurance d- doesn't rest on our decision or any one moment in our life where we've made some sort of decision. It, it always rests on Christ and on Christ alone. This is why I love, just recently we've been teaching in the catechism class for the high schoolers about the sacraments and how these sacraments are signs and seals and how they are reminders and assurances of God's love for us and of our salvation in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. And that is how I'm reminded and assured Christ gives himself to me and I get to receive him by faith. And so that's an interesting point that you you make from the book. But this wasn't the only book that mm-hmm. Bunyan wrote. Actually, in, in researching, I discovered that he wrote a lot more. <laughs> Mark, you just read a book yep. uh, by him on prayer. Sure. What were some of the main insights from his book, and what was the title of it? It's just Prayer by John Bunyan. Creative title. Yes. Um, <laughs> in fact, it, it seemed in reading it, it probably wasn't written to be a book. I think it was, was two it books sermon? that were kind of put together, okay. like two tracts almost. Um, okay. And uh, basically, it's about coming to the mercy seat of God. So uh, who is it that we approach? Um, how do we pray? He, he gives a lot of focus in that book on praying with under, in the spirit and with understanding. Hmm. So um, he, he often addresses how there's there's those who pray in the spirit sometimes, but with without understanding. Hmm. That's kind of the um, the danger of charismatic the charismatic movement is to hmm. to want to be swept away almost out of your mind. Yeah. Um, but he he says no, we pray in the spirit and with understanding. And there's the other error where people would pray with understanding but not with the unction or with the seriousness or zeal um, that the Spirit is producing within you. There's, hmm. There can be a way of praying that is stagnant and um, and actually not all that spiritual, but almost like hmm. a, just a practice that people do hmm. that's almost disconnected from God in a superstitious way. So um, his book on prayer is short. I want to say it was about 120 pages. I read it with a young man in our church. Um, Corey Viss, who I, I think is one of our listeners. Shout out to Corey. Hey, Corey. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I commend that to anybody who wants to grow in your prayer life. There are a lot of really nice um, definitions given of what prayer is, and he's just unpacking that yeah. a lot of times throughout the book. 
and uh, and so it's it's a great call into a life of prayer. Um, mm-hmm. Also, his his very popular autobiography, "Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners." Um, have not read all of that, but uh, I'm I'm can certainly commend it to anybody uh, who would be interested in and learning more about this guy. Yeah, you can learn more about his own story. Mm-hmm. And again, I've not read it either, uh, but it def- definitely sounds like it will give insights into the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, I'm sure that there are many moments, just a guess, in the Pilgrim's Progress that are somewhat autobiographical yeah, well, I'm sure. yeah. uh, from his own story that he is uh, projecting into the story of Christian, the main character. And so we, we've really enjoyed doing this and putting this together, and we hope that it blesses not only our congregation, who will be begin uh, working through the book and through thinking of this grand theme of pilgrimage, mm-hmm. but we hope it's been a blessing to you to learn more about the life of a faithful man in the history of the Church who is a part of our Reformed heritage and mm-hmm. tradition. And so we say, take up and read. That's certainly what I'll, <laughs> I'll need to do myself. I'll need yep. to listen to my own wisdom. Yep. So thank you for joining us and for spending some time with us. And we will be back with you next week. See you.